Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 56. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away, with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buy list bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program. Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. And if you stick around for this cast, you're going to find out who won a $25 gift certificate uh, last week for their comments and who's going and how you can win one for next week. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to start things off with one of the biggest spoilers to uh, to come out while I was on vacation, at least. Uh, there appears to be the new uh, commander thing. The new commander set uh, has been spoiled, and this includes a couple new mythic dragon commanders. Jim, if you sort of want to talk about what the uh, impact of this could possibly be uh, for everyone who is interested in the financial part of this. So, uh, basically, five-color commanders are always very interesting because they are uh, few and far between, and most of them are just very bad. Uh, these dragon commanders are pretty special because right now there's only one really, like, one really, one one commander, really, that incentivizes you to play dragons, which is Scion of the Ur-Dragon, which is also in the set, it, also in the box, sorry, uh, supposedly. But this gives you a lot more options to do things other than play Scion of the Ur-Dragon and play a more traditional tribal strategy like with the Ur-Dragon or play like some multicolor BS with Ramos, Dragon Engine. I don't know. Basically, there's a lot of options, a lot of different things you can do, and it'll help uh, players that were previously uninterested in building such decks because Scion of the Ur-Dragon was pretty expensive and... It really only has one thing that it does. Like it's not particularly good at playing all the dragons and attacking with them. Um, you just tutor them up with Scion and just kill somebody. So it gives the deck a new direction and a lot of different options on what they can play. And it also is a bunch of like super sweet Vorthos things because it has a bunch of legendary creatures that are part of the magic story that just didn't exist previously. So. Uh, a lot of people will be excited because they're like, oh, I really liked Kamigawa. I want to play with Okagachi. Or, oh, man, I really liked the like good old days in Mercadian Masks, so I'm going to play Ramos or whatever. Like, You just have a lot more options now. And um, I'm actually really interested to see what the rest of the deck looks like because right now it's just kind of like Dragon Legends soup, and we don't know what like supporting cards are going to be in there. Like, Are they going to put a Chromatic Lantern in there? We don't know. Are they going to put Coalition Relic in there? Like, what kind of cards are they going to do to facilitate a five-color commander deck? Because, like, you can't put ten shocks and ten fetches in a deck and just call it a day for a pre-con. So, it really it, it'll be interesting to see what they end up leaving out. Uh, I think there's a couple of dragons, especially that are probably things to be looking at. Not necessarily they they might include them, but they might not. And if they don't include them, they're quite good. Um, but we'll just have to like wait and see till they go to the official spoiler season and see what happens. Travis, do you want to add anything about these commander decks? Uh, well, sure. I mean, we guess we already knew they were going to be tribal before this, but this sort of seemed to remind everybody. Um, there's going to be uh, no short list of tribal cards that are going to be interesting pickups. I don't know why it's so dark either, by the way. I think my camera is like auto-correcting for the light or something. Um, there's going to be no shortage of like tribal-themed cards that are going to be really interesting choices. The problem is you're going to be playing... Russian roulette with the way did we talk about this last week? I feel like we talked about this last week. 
vaguely vaguely yeah foils are generally your best bet on the cards that can be profitable because the non-foils if they don't get if they get reprinted are going to get hit kind of hard if they don't get reprinted um obviously there's a lot of value there one thing i did think about today while i was writing and i'm curious to hear what your guys think about this was i was talking about um uh i don't know some oh um belby's portal um the artifact from nemesis so there's only one printing it's rare from nemesis very little supply out there just in general right like nemesis as a whole there's not a lot of that out there so if that gets reprinted in exactly one deck does it really lose that much value because let's say they put it in the dragon deck which is a deck that needs it the most uh every player who plays one of these dragon decks is going to want that card in it and it came with it so they don't really need to buy it but everyone else who decides they need one like remembers that's a card realizes whatever like the only one they're going to have is the one from their dragon deck so do you actually increase demand relative to supply by reprinting the card in only one of the commander decks what do you guys think uh i think part of the reason why people don't like like but why belby's portal is probably not going to be in there and isn't very popular is because it's just like almost the same card as Quicksilver Amulet, and it's just less worried, like less things to worry about. Uh, Belby's Portal costs five and costs three to activate. Quicksilver Amulet costs four and costs four to activate, and you don't have to like have a specific creature type. You just put anything into play. Sure, but you can still do both, right? I don't think people who are playing Dragon decks even want to have this card. I think they would rather have like another Dragon Speaker Shaman or something. Or like a crucible of fire. Well, there you definitely want those cards in your deck, but you can only play so many eight mana cost dragons, at least if you built the deck in a not stupid way. So like you need to have some smallish cards to round out the inventory. And dragons under five don't really exist, especially even under six, there's not too many. So like these are good kind of cards that kind of fill out flush out that curve on the lower end. I guess it's less about the, the less about Belby's portal specifically. And more about if there's one tribal, if there's a tribal themed card that would apply to most tribal decks that gets reprinted in only one deck. Coat of and Arms. It's, and it's kind of old. Well, sh well, sure, but Coat of Arms, Coat of Arms, sure, but that's also got a huge supply. It's got like six printings. What about something that doesn't have a lot of printings? I mean, there's definitely some things that could happen there. Um, like if we see a bunch of like multicolor decks, people could be really into Cavern of Souls because that might not even be reprinted at all. Like, it's possible they put it in one deck and not all of them, and that's kind of a big deal. It really depends get, on the strength of the card. Yeah. I think we get a City of Brass reprint after this got reprinted into the dust and was a dollar or covered back up to $4. I think we see City of Brass again, and that's another free moneymaker down the road. Because, I mean, the, people just cannot have enough of this card since four-color was a thing for Commander. What about Mana Confluence? Do you think they do that instead? I, I think that gets hit, and I don't think it recovers as fast. I think people just like City of Brass more for the iconic name or something. Oh, well, you know what that means, then. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think we see City... Masters. Yeah, I think we see City of Brass get hit twice this year, and I'm completely fine picking them back up at a dollar, because this card like came out of nowhere. So it's something I'd be interested in. Yeah, I think that there's there's more likely to be cards that are missing that are important to the tribe that get expensive than rather than like cars that are good in multiple tribes that get missed and get expensive. Like I don't know how many 
cards there are that I would want to play in dragons and goblins. Like, there's just not a whole lot of overlap there, even among, like, lands. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you look through the EDA Correct Tribal pages, you can see that there's definitely... Um, the on-color cards tend to be very well played uh, relative to, like, artifacts or enchantments, but there's definitely overlap on a couple permanents, like Coat of Arms. Uh, Dora to no, Dora Destinies is another one. There's a lot of overlap on that card. That's going to be uh, that's a spicy one because that's like that to me. I think is the biggest one of the bigger um, trains to dodge because it's like seven bucks right now, six bucks, and it's like if that doesn't get reprinted, that card is fantastic basically, and all of these decks that are going to show up. Uh, but then if it does get reprinted, it feels like it's going to get kind of hammered. So yeah, I don't know. And we we also have like Obelisk of Erd that's still worth money that like people yeah. think is bulk. That's my second pick after standard. So definitely some money to be made or lost, depending on what's going to be in the rest of this uh, 99. And of course we have commander anthologies coming up. Uh, Kalia gets a reprint. If she goes down to 10, I'm, I'm going in closely monitoring the Japanese listings of this card for sure. Kalia. Yeah. I want to see, I want to see how low it goes in Japan versus America. And then I think it will be significantly undervalued over there, and I'll just order a bunch and sell them right off the shelf here. So seems pretty easy to make money off of. So that's my plan. Not if I buy them first, buddy. I mean, everybody knows about the arbitrage market at this point. Yeah. So it's, you know. But Sucks. you you can't you can only order off of Hiryuya and Tokyo MTG, right? Uh, there's other resources for the more advanced arbitrage guys as far as like either making a direct connection or websites that only ship to Japan, but you have a guy in Japan that ships to you. You know, it's all about next leveling. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, especially with GP Vegas coming up right after this product is released. Uh, you have two or Japanese vendors in the could be potentially bringing all these over. So just something to keep an eye on. Um, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there may not be that many opened over there just because the format's not that popular. So, yeah. Well, that, so you bring that up, but we know I, somebody on, t on uh, Twitter recently brought up the fact that there is a ton of Japanese C16 product flowing back into big box stores like Walmart and that type of thing. Um, uh, probably as a result of it not really selling that well in Japan and maybe the English product being a little short supply. Uh, so they're kind of pulling it back over here. So if we have another release where there's a lot of Japanese product, that market doesn't really soak it up. You can see a late stage push of that product back to America. Yeah, that's actually a really good thing to point out. Um, definitely as far as C16 English goes, everyone's figured this out by now, monitoring the interest page on stocks. Uh, any C16 deck that you can find at MSRP at this point is basically free money with all the $4 things that have shot up from being bulk just because of how little this was. Um, and I think they're going to flood the market with this Anthologies product and the Dragons product because uh, Commander 2013, you know, you had True Name, and then they were like, all right, we'll put two True Names in a box out of five and three randoms, and you just glutted the market. And they've sort of uh, taken steps back as far as Commander 2014, 2015, 2016, and I think next year they put the pedal down again and we get Swamped, or the, the later this year. Um because Watsy's just pushing so many supplemental products on the players who can't afford it. Yeah, they are. Anything you want to add about the uh, Commander Anthologies, Jim? 
Um, not really. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see if there's any overlap between Commander 2016 or 2017 and uh, anthologies. Like, I think that it's possible that if they do like an angel or a demon tribal commander thing, they might put Kalia in one of those decks. So, if you're buying that set to buy a cheap version of any of those things that are in there, I would just wait a little bit longer. Good point. And um, yeah, it's just real interesting to see how the market's developed, especially with this. I know my local players are real excited to uh, be able to purchase a Kalia for under a billion dollars. So uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens, um, especially when Travis re refuses to mute his mic. Um, and then, of course, we also have the other thing where Modern Masters 3 prices are dropping. Uh, you're starting to see Snapcaster and the fetches go down a bit. Um, Snapcaster's low. People are starting to short them, I guess. Uh, I'm not actually quite sure why. Um, buy lists have not been, you know, the last like month, everything's been going up. And now it's starting as we get into summer to just go down a bit. So it's interesting to see. Um, as Sigmund Osfresser uh, noted in his article, uh, you have stuff like Gideon dropping, but that's because of, I, in my opinion, rotations coming up soon, and he's just not good in the meta right now. Uh, Force of Wills dropping, um, which Ed had talked about, and he's actually flying right now for those wondering where he, where he is. Uh, he's been traveling for 20 plus hours from Japan on his vacation, finally coming back. Um, it's just interesting to see all these prices just start going down a bit and there's money to be made, especially just like at the last GP Vegas where you can take advantage of some specs on the floor or buying people out online and sit on them until the end of the year and reap the rewards. So it'll be interesting to see where buy list and prices continue to go from here. Do you guys want to say anything about MM3 dropping a little bit or not really? I mean, buy list on Goif is like 50, 60 right now. You can get Goifs real cheap. Sorry, I'm not allowed to talk. My mic was muted. For I good mean, reason. Uh, there's not a whole lot to say. Like The product that's opened has been opened, and it's the summertime, so cards usually go down a little bit. But we have a lot of modern tournaments in a row, so it would surprise me if they continued to fall, unless there really just is no demand for that kind of stuff at those prices. Like Under $100, like, if, you, if you said... Was it when did Modern Masters One come out? Twenty thirteen, four yeah. years ago. If you four years ago you said that Tarmogoyf was going to be under a hundred dollars, they would have sold that almost instantly. It didn't matter how many of them you could have had. Now it's like, I don't know. People just seem a lot less excited about it, which I don't blame them for. This is the third time it's been reprinted, but there's still there's still cards in that set that are going to go up in value. I think I don't think anyone's going to open it anymore. And I don't think that they're going to print it again at the end of the year because of Iconic Masters. So I'm not really sure what people are expecting to have happen, except that this is just like a small drop in the summer because people are playing less Magic. We're definitely starting to see, I'm going to say, the limits of what Modern Masters is designed to do because... Um, you know, even if these price dips are temporary, uh, you know, Tarmogoyf can't be the banner mythic in Modern Masters every single release because eventually you're just going to push the supply too high and the price is going to crater to like 20 bucks, um, which some people out there are going to be like, that's amazing, $20 Tarmogoyf, I can play Modern. It's like, well, you know, they're really trying to like 
gently bring that price down, not just smash it into the face of everyone who shelled out, you know, $200 or close to it for their own copies. Um, so you know, there's a little bit of modern masters fatigue. I think, you know, the, the excitement around each release has certainly been less palpable each time. Um, and I kind of wonder if this is the last one. I could see them doing another one after this, uh, at least until they basically catch up to, so that modern masters have been done for every set that had already come out before they started the modern master series, uh, which I think would take them up to like cons of Tarkir or something like that. So what is that like one more modern masters release? Um, I don't know. I could see them kind of putting a, kind of moving that to an every third year schedule or something like that, or even temporarily, you know, for a couple of years, um, putting it off because you, you, you're right. You see the prices just aren't, it just hasn't been exciting. The prices aren't sustaining as well as they used to. Um, the rebounds haven't been as hard. Modern Masters 2015 didn't do anything, you know, anything close to what Modern Masters 1 did. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future of that product is, but it, it definitely looks like it's starting to wane a little bit. I think that just like just master sets in general just get less exciting the more of them there are and there's two this year there is one last year and one the year before like if they do zero next year I think I'd actually be happy um, just like taking a year off from modern masters is probably the best or just off master set is probably the best thing that they can do no like, I think we get eternal masters two next year and there's actually a lot of stuff that needs to get hit really like what? Uh, Rashad import is like the biggest one. Obviously, that's one that like everyone is uh, saying. Wizards, please reprint. Like we actually need this card to go down. Uh, Wait, you just said Modern Masters, didn't you? No, Eternal Masters. No, you said Eternal Masters. I hey, mean, that could just be an iconic Masters at the end of the year, right? Like that's a pretty iconic card. Yeah, um, but I also think that uh, some of the older stuff. I think Sylvan Library needs another reprint. I'm a big fan of Damnation. I think that gets hit in Iconic Masters again. Uh, I think that's one that they're just going to be like, here it is. It's finally going to go down. Whatever. Um, is Mana it like Drain. 20 bucks though? Yeah, I think it's 25 mid. Okay. Mana, Mana Drain is another one that'll probably get hit in Iconic Masters instead of Eternal Masters, but either one of those in a set could sell like the whole set. Um, uh, Imperial Seal, Capture of Xing Zhao, all the P3K stuff, like that also needs a reprint. So we'll see what happens with uh, the the two supplemental products for the next two years. But I think we do get Eternal Masters next year just because Watsi wants to pot, uh, pad its shareholders' pockets. So we'll see. I mean, we don't really know much at this point. So we're all in the dark. I mean, by not much, you mean nothing at all? Well, we know that there's an Iconic Masters set. And I'm assuming there's an Eternal Masters 2 set. I mean, not knowing much at all seems like a perfect reason to talk as much as possible about it. <laughs> right. Well, do you want to get into the new selling platform that is sweeping social media? You and I follow different people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually haven't seen it mentioned on here at all. So uh, if you're on Reddit at all, which is basically every finance guy, um, there's a new website that finally launched uh, over last week called Cardsphere, um, which is a site backed by real money and not fake currency that doesn't inject more currency. Um, and if the site goes under, you can cash out and they take a fee, but you'll get your money back through PayPal, which is how they offer cash outs at the moment. Um, essentially, this is something that a lot of finance guys took interest in because 
you can set exactly how much you want to quote unquote pay for a card. So for example, you can buy credit to purchase stuff with, uh, which I did. And you can offer, you can change every day what you're offering. So if you want the card right away, you can pay full price for it. Someone will ship it to you. You click, okay, I got it. The other guy gets paid. Um, or you can say, hey, you know all those old dusty uncommons? I'll offer you half of whatever uh, their current value is. And the guy will say, well, TCG's not, this isn't on TCG player's buy list. And it's, I don't want to get dinged um, shipping it to Channel Fireball Card Kingdom, who's notorious at grading. Uh, I'll just ship it to another guy and I'll get half my value instead of maybe like uh, 30% because it's a moderately played Ashnod's Altar or something. Um, so for vendors such as me, I've been offering like 75 cents on Ashnod's Altars, um, which is below most buy list and people are, you know, sending uh, price of progress, same thing there. A lot of these Eternal Masters and Commons that I like in the long term, days, stuff that we sell real easily and that buy lists really aren't too aggressive on. You can just offer around or below Star City buy list and people will ship them to you because they don't want to get dinged. Uh, which makes perfect sense, right? Like, why not cut out the middleman, which is the seller, and just ship to another player? Um, and they obviously will um, work it out if the package doesn't arrive, if it's not tracked or something. They'll look at both your histories. They have an admin team to handle any disputes, stuff like that. Uh, so we had talked about Cardsphere a little bit in the past, you could say. And um, I basically spent a couple days... Um, looking into their legal stuff, looking into how they filed, looking into all their contracts that you have to sign um, when you uh, when you sign up for the service. And like, if there's anything, if they're selling your information to your party, um, exactly you're allowed to even say uh, once you sign up for the site about Cardsphere. Um, so it's just been real interesting to look at their uh, FAQs, their terms of service, all that fun stuff. Um, as far as their legal filing goes, uh, everything looks great. Um, they are filed as a corporation. Um, Puka Trade was also filed as a corporation. Uh, this means that they will have to publicly announce the amount of revenue that they've made for 2017. Uh, for example, Puka Trade's revenue last year was $167,000 and change. That wasn't their profit, that was just their revenue. So in a year, we're going to see exactly how much uh, Cardsphere's revenue is. Um, so the question is, well, how is Cardsphere making money um, providing this seller's market or buyer's market, actually? Because you can be either. You can be a seller or a buyer. I've chosen to be a buyer because I want to sell cards off the shelf. But uh, say Travis has expeditions that he doesn't want to sell on TCG. Well, Cardsphere takes a smaller percentage theoretically than TCG player does. TCG takes over 11%. Cardsphere technically takes less. Uh, so say Travis has a Soul Ring masterpiece and TCG player has it at 150, TCG lows 110. Well, there's someone offering under 15% value of TCG mid or whatever algorithm Cardsphere uses. So Travis then ships it off to them for 15% off of $150, which uh, is, you know, 135 bucks, right? So now Travis has $135 in his... Um, yeah, wait, did I just do that math wrong? 15%, 150, yeah, I probably did. It's closer to like 133 or whatever. Anyway, yeah, good job messing up on that math. Uh, so let's say Travis sells the card and he's got $130-ish in, uh, 
in credit. So now he needs the money, right? Because he hasn't gotten paid. Well, he goes to cash out a card hoarder. And card hoarder in their terms of service says, uh, cards or cards for your, sorry, cards for your will, will withhold a processing fee from the amount of stored value to be refunded in the amount of the greatest of either A, 10% of the amount of stored value to be refunded, which is his credit or quote unquote money, or B, 10 United States dollars. So in this case, 10% of whatever Travis sold is now um, higher than $10, obviously, at this point. And so Cardsphere will be making their money from their fees that they take when you cash in or cash out of the si cash out of the system. So Travis will get 127.5, and then they take 10% of that. So that leaves Travis down another $12 and whatever cents. And so Travis walks away with about $115. Which is closer to TCG low. But he did all the selling on his own. And it adds up as a smaller percentage. If you find the same guy that you're trying to ship to. Just like TCG player. Um, so there's pros to this. Which are. Uh, if you're a person who's trying to get cards. You can offer 15% below market rate. On cards and people will send them to you. And that's it. You can buy card hoarder credit. Or cards for your credit. And you quote unquote buy the cards from other people. And if Travis has something that will not sell on TCG, then he just takes it over there and he sells it to some other guy on Cardsphere. And that's all there is. So that's one of the pros is it's quote unquote easier and less fees. Um, it will also automatically uh, deduct the same percentage based off lightly played, moderately played, and heavily played. So you don't have to worry about grade down. It'll automatically show you how much you're selling this card for or how much you're paying this card for. And you can adjust and toggle with that every day. You can also set a cap on exactly how high you want to buy the card at. For an example, there's someone who's offering to buy a Black Lotus on Cardsphere right now for $3.5. Alpha, Beta, or Unlimited. And Fair. that is his max. That's his max offer is I will pay you $3.5. Fair. Um, so you can do that if you really want to... Uh, behavior and so this has attracted a lot of uh, finance guys who look at this and they go I can just offer I can just put my buy list on here throw a couple thousand bucks in the system and see what happens and uh, that's what I'm trying to do right now and of course Ed never knows when to mute his mic because he's casting from the airport but uh, that's basically the pro of card sphere is that uh, you can you can do this and get away with it so I hope that this elongated discussion because there's a lot to peruse through, and I recommend you look at their uh, terms and services before you before you go through and make an account uh, to do this. Just check to make sure that you know you know exactly what you're getting into and exactly how many fees they're taking. Um, because TCG, uh, TCG, it takes you two weeks to get paid at the most. Like you ship out your card, it takes ten days for them to put it in your system, and then they give you three to four days for it to get into your bank. And that can be as quick as the next day you get paid from TCG after 10 days or three days after your 10 days. Whereas Cardsphere is within a 24 hour thing, they will pay you. Um, but there are once again, some cons here, which is limits. So cards. Yeah. Um, Cardsphere will not pay you or process transactions in the amount less than 20 United States dollars. Uh, there is a $1,000 limit imposed by Cardsphere on the amount of the funds refunded per 24 hours to any single user. Uh, larger amounts can be split into a series of transfers each under the limit and spread out over several consecutive 24-hour periods. So if something comes up and you need all that money you put in or all those cards you sold, you can only do $1,000 within 24 hours. So that's something to keep in mind. 
uh, when you're doing this is not to stretch your uh, wallet too thin. Uh, if it's over $10,000, there's a clause about that because they are based in Canada, and I believe the Canadian version of the IRS wants to know about that. Uh, you, are, you are responsible for declaring all income uh, from Cardsphere. Uh, they are not in charge of that unless it's over a certain amount per U.S. and Canadian law, I believe. So, uh, you know, the amount of people that uh, claim magic on their taxes, which is a very small part of us, but luckily all four of us on this cast, uh, it's like something to keep in mind that it's not a hobby, it's a business. So you need to watch out for that clause as well. Um, am I making sense here to the other three guys on the cast? Uh, there's a lot of stuff to go through. Well, you just kind of spewed information, so it's a little tough to even know where to start with that. Yeah, if we if we took it step by step instead of uh, informative vomit, then maybe we wouldn't have been able to say something. Okay. Right. Do you have any questions at this stage? Well, how about how about we do this? Let me let me ask you the question that I asked earlier offcast was card sphere. It it is what it is. The, the key question is what compels somebody to put their money into Cardsphere rather than go buy the card on TCG Player? What is the value provided to the buyer that you don't get on TCG Player? So you know exactly what you're paying. So say you're a armchair speculator like you are, Travis, and you don't want to pay more than $2 per copy of Glory Bringer, no matter what. And you see that TCG player's low is $2.15 plus shipping. Well, you go on Cardsphere and you say, I'm going to offer $2 per card and I don't have to pay shipping at all. And then some guy who sees how low it is and realizes he'll get less after fee says, you know what? I'm going to go ship it on Cardsphere. They don't take a 50, they don't take a 50 cent cut on all transactions. That would make it, you know, not really profitable to ship out on TCG player. And instead, I'm just going to take the whatever percentage uh, Cardsphere takes and whatever percentage the buyer takes, which in your opinion, or which here would be about 20% under low. So you'd be using a cut of about negative 20% here, and you don't have to worry about it. And the cool thing is, which I've noticed, is they email you every time your account gets uh, used. Every time someone sends you a card, you're going to get an email saying, this is a essentially what purchased at this price. So I woke up today and I had an email saying you have purchased X Ashnod alters and price of progress is at X dollars. So okay. that's it. You just, right. you know, you can go on vacation and if you're not gone for long, you can buy cards while you're gone. All right. So let's take a moment to welcome Ed. How you doing, Ed? Hi guys. I'm back from Japan. I am literally sitting in the baggage claim at LaGuardia airport right now. Okay. I've I have a grand total of at this point like 22 minutes of internet left before <laughs> before well, I'm going to cut out. Was there anything you would like to share with us in your 22 minutes today? So I think like anyone who's wanting to jump into the card sphere, I don't know what you guys talked about already, but I think the way I uh, first started using crypto trade when I did like years and years ago was it was kind of I had basically kind of controlled sets of stuff I was willing to send out and. I was I kind of just kept track of data, data like oh I was into it for this amount and I was sending out like a lot of small like bulk uncommons uh, like smallish rares that kind of thing and then I started moving that to staples that were in the one five dollar range and then uh, stuff that was like beyond that and I basically just kind of just kept track of them separately see how well they were moving and from there I was kind of able to just kind of adjust my quantities accordingly. Um, 
I think that's probably the appropriate way to kind of uh, tackle card sphere here. Um, I haven't really looked at it in depth. I talked to Tom back in uh, March. It's been a little while since uh, I've kind of kept my eye on it, but it's definitely something that I'm going to give it a stab. Um, maybe not necessarily as a business, unless I'm trying to move like a great set number of cards. Like I might keep I might keep my eye on excess stock. For example, by buying to make copies of some card Grand Prix. I might be just looking at a way to just dump as many copies onto Cardsphere as GP as possible. Um, so I think there's definitely something in it for everybody. I think it's just kind of an issue of how much you want to put into it and being able to track that down and, and just kind of adjust, adjust accordingly. Yeah, and there's other vendors that are looking as a, at this as a great way to make money because the fees are a little less. And uh, for example, I'm paying full price right now on Unglued Islands for a customer. Um, he said he's not really in a rush to get them, um, but he's using credit that he already traded in in my favor, obviously, to get these cards. So I'm just basically saying, all right, I need these cards at this condition at full price whenever you guys want to send them over because he's not in a rush. And that way I don't have to like spend time on TCG. It'll just get shipped whenever. And, you know, he's already traded in for the cards and he's just not in a rush. So instead of like waiting for them to come in through my buys, because uh, we did have someone buy 300 on glued lands at FNM, which was obscene. Uh, I just wait. And then eventually they come in and I say, hey, come and pick up your cards that you already traded for. Well, let me give you, I guess, the perspective of my, my perspective, which is the guy, you know, armchair dude. It's interesting to know where the appeal is for people who to put money in the system. I'm glad I'm, it's good to know why the people putting money into the system want to be doing that because it kind of gives me a feel for how I should approach it. So I know that people are putting money into the system so that they can buy um, cheap cards like yourself. Uh, kind of below buy list, which means that it's not really thrilling for me and that, you know, for, for you guys, because you're going to get the people who want to buy a lot of stuff, putting money into the market, which are going to be stores. You're going to have fewer players with larger pocketbooks. Those aren't the people that I'm generally trying to sell to. Um, so early on, I think there's not going to be that sort of like volume of really casual type people that like Puka Trade enjoyed. Now, what's interesting though, is that you've got vendors who are the one who are the who I think who have the most interest in putting money in the cards here because they want to get like all these cheap cards on buy list. But that means they do have deep pockets, which means that they can dump a lot of money into the system. So lots of casual guys can go out there and ship all sorts of small stuff for money uh, and kind of build up their, their wallets and essentially start trying to trade up. So this is where the value I guess comes in for people like me um, is, you know, I tend to sell a lot of my smaller middle range stuff on TCG player really easily. But bigger ticket items move kind of slow and I don't have a storefront to sell them. I have less connections. So really, once you get over like $30, I find that cards on TCG player tend to run move a little more slowly, which isn't too surprising, right? Like it's easy for somebody to go, oh, this card's eight bucks, I need to buy it. But if it's like, oh, this Masterpiece Soul Ring is $170 on TCG player, like ah, it's hard to make that decision, even if it is the cheapest price on the internet. So I like knowing where the money's coming and going from. Um, my perspective is I'm not really that interested in buying cards on there yet, especially because I don't need to buy like, you know, 50 cent. If a card is 50 cents on buy list, getting it for 35 cents on cards here isn't really that exciting to me because I'm not the guy trying to turn that, turn that stuff around like Jeremy is. 
my interest is going to be showing up and providing the larger ticket cards that those guys want to trade up to. So all of those smaller guys who are sending Jeremy the, the you know, one and $2 small ball cards where Jeremy's getting good buy list price, those guys are going to want to take all those small cards and turn them into large cards. They want to trade up, right? That's great for them. Fine by me. I want to get rid of my large cards because those are the ones I have the most trouble selling. So I'm going to show up and list all of my expensive cards and let those guys who've spent all that time grinding up walk away with a masterpiece soul ring. They're going to be happy because they turned a bunch of bulk into a soul ring. I'm going to be happy because I get to sell my larger ticket items to get to people who aren't spending real money on it. And even if the fees are like remotely close to TCG player, that's fine because it gives me a lot more people to send cards to, especially on those larger value cards, because it's hard to punch in your credit card number and spend 180 US dollars on a soul ring. But if all you did is put magic cards in the mail and then you just get the click, I want this thing and your bank account never changes, it's a lot easier to get those sort of real luxury high-end cards. So, I mean, that's gonna be my strategy is I'm gonna be the person to let people trade up to, I think, is, is the way I'm gonna approach it. And we can extrapolate this even, say Ed picks up a Judge Guy's Cradle, which is very hard to move from my understanding, and someone wants to Judge Guy's Cradle right away on uh, Cardsphere. You just go and you get rid of it right away. You don't even have to really list it on TCG. You just click, all right, I'm shipping this off. You create your own orders. You know, One of the things, because Magic players are so lazy, that I've heard is when they have a ton of TCG orders and they have to spend all day packaging TCG orders, haven't helped them, they're making money, you can choose exactly when you have free time to ship off all this stuff. You don't have to wait on the market to decide that for you. You can say, I have a whole day, I'm just going to ship out all this stuff today, get a little bit of money when they receive it because oh, yeah. I have that time. I have a question about this that I asked earlier and didn't get an answer to. And I, I haven't noticed, I haven't played with it long enough to get a feel for it. Is Cardsphere push-based, pull-based, or both? And just a quick notification for all of our listeners, pushed-based is like Puka Trade, where the guy with the card elects to send it. Pull-based is like TCG Player, where, where the guy with the money initiates the trade. And push would allow it in either direction. It's push-based, as far as I'm aware. So if I were to send a card, so I can't put up a okay. So can I can't put up a soul ring at one seventy and say this is for sale? Anyone who wants it can take it. Not as far as I'm aware. You basically add the soul ring to your haves list, and then you click on what people want and what they're paying on it, and then you say this price looks close enough. They're paying you know negative ten percent of mid. I want to okay. sell it for negative ten percent of mid, and then I lose. Uh, 10% up when I cash out. So I'm losing 20% of mid, but that's still around low. And then I don't have TCG fees after that of low. So it's worth it. Okay. So that's my, that's one of the pros in my opinion is if you have a day where all you have to do or like where you have a bunch of time, free time, you can go and look at how much people are paying on all your stuff. So it's okay. real simple as far as that's concerned. Um, so as far as the buyer side, it's easy because it's like, this is what I'm paying, take it or leave it. And then, you know, this is what I want to sell for this price. Let's do that. Uh, and as Ed pointed out, I'm not a math person, definitely a uh, more of a more of everything but math, actually. I believe the only requirement to get my political science degree was college algebra, which is a reason that I actually, how did the hell did I pass that? Um, yeah, so... If you want to do the exact percentage crunch, um, look into it on their website. But as far as just like in the Zemet uh, general percentage uh, aggregate, it seems much better than TCG if people are paying close to mid 
or even close to low on this stuff. Um, it's just something to keep in mind. So you have a lot of people that are saying, I'll pay negative 30% on a termoglyph of mid. And that enables them to then sell it on TCG or something. I, I'm not sure. But there's, like I said, like there's people that are offering $3.50 on Black Lotuses. And then there's people offering 10% under mid on Snapcaster mages, which would leave you like with 40 something dollars. And then you lose 10% from Cardsphere. That's like 36 bucks. But Channel Fireball is paying $30 on it. So as a result, you're netting around what I would think. I don't sell Snapcasters on TCG. You're netting like around the same fees, but you're choosing when you want to ship those out instead of having people buy them from you on TCG, and you have to worry about that. So it's just something to keep in mind. I do wonder if you're going to kind of see it, um, see the prices change a little bit. Right now, it seems like people are willing to pay a lot under tcg mid or low what you know 10 20 percent. i was wonder if you're going to start to see that uh gap close as we get more and more of the masses onto the system who don't mind paying basically tcg low uh because they did it by sending in three dollar cards rather than paying real cash yeah so everybody wins in this system as far as the people that want to trade up which is like the mtg finance dream pack to power and then the other people who are sellers which is us being able to make a, an extra couple percentage points. Yeah. Which adds up. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, really, it, even if you end up making 2 to 5% less doing it through cards here, just having that whole new audience who is now able to acquire your cards with their cards, which was the Puka Trade model, but you get cash out of it as opposed to just more points and cards that you then had to deal with. I mean, that's really valuable if it works. And that's one of the cons right now is they don't advertise. It's all self-promotion and they only have 1,300 users right now. So you can see exactly how many users they have and exactly how many cards are being sent in the mail right now. So if I click on cards here right now, I can see that there are 1,304 users with $5,900 of cards in the mail right now. And that's because they just started. So obviously this will grow over time, but you can see exactly how many users there are, whereas Puka Trade is tens of thousands. Yeah, I would I would estimate. Well, it took a while. What did it take? Like two, three years. Two years. Yeah, it was a while before they hit one million trades, and now they're at like five million or something. Like the amount of time that it took them to go from one to like three or four million trades was less than it took them to go from zero to one. Yeah. So, just interesting. Anything else that you guys want to talk about cards here? I'm sure that our listeners are going to look at it for themselves. And yeah, there's pros and cons that we've discussed on this cast, but ultimately, it's up to you guys. Or do you want to move on with Pick of the Week? All right. Well, Jim, let's give away that $25 gift certificate first, and then we'll move on. All right. So uh, last week, I was a little hasty and didn't say where to uh, to comment for to enter in for the gift certificate. So I apologize. I hope that you saw on Twitter uh, that I, and on the Facebook page that I posted that you should have commented on our Facebook page to be entered to win. And uh, with the help of uh, a random number generator, I have chosen Lucas Buchafesco. He's actually a friend of mine. Uh, he runs All a right. YouTube channel. See, I, I was close. He runs uh, a what? He runs a YouTube channel. Get him out. All right. Yeah. And well, I didn't select it. I said Jim selected, and then when Jim told me who it was, I said not him. I can so, actually use it anything but him. But whatever, you're yeah. at least that means you're good friends. So. Um, 
So yeah, Lucas, uh, send the Cartel Aristocrats Facebook page a DM, and I will get you your uh, star credit. But anyway, so Lucas asks, with the latest GP results of Modern, Kobe, and Copenhagen, we see that the format is quickly devolving into one of two heart archetypes, chock full of thought seasons and inquisitions, or blue base control to outlast. Which one of these or which cards of these decks do you think have the highest room to grow? Which one remains stagnant? Thanks. Um I guess I'll answer this first. Uh it really depends on what cards didn't get reprinted in uh iconic masters at this point. Like I don't know if any of those cards will get reprinted there. I think Thought Seizes pretty much uh, likely to continue to go up from here. I think Inquisition's also at its floor, so I'm not sure when the next time we'll see either of those cards reprinted. So if you just wanted to throw some money into those into those discard spells, like I find it hard to believe that they'll ever print a better discard spell than Thought Seizer Inquisition. So they should pretty much be safe for the long term until they get reprinted. Which I don't know. If you want to hold them for like two years, that'd probably be tops. Ed. Uh, uh, regarding modern, I think it's one of those things where it's currently open. Um, we're kind of in this bizarre state where there's not a ton of data. Like these are, we have these two grampies and the SG open that was the modern data point for like this week, and then their next relevant uh, modern tournament is Vegas, and then it's kind of drying up from there until SCG starts to take over. So I'm not really sure how the like we'll see the shift in meta. And how Wizards is going to make changes in terms of banning cards or unbanning cards or whatever. Right now, like I think, like Nazi's Inquisition are kind of like like among the best cards in modern right now. Um, the fact that they exist makes it very very hard to play any sort of combo oriented deck or any deck that requires like A plus B. Mainly because Nazi's and Inquisition are just very good at tearing those apart. And now that we start seeing like like the blue base Crits of Shadows deck and the Summer Denials, it becomes even harder to kind of push like a critical spell through. Um, so like Thought Seas and Inquisition, I think it's one of those, it's, it, they're just so ubiquitous, they're like multi-format staples. Uh, we just saw Inquisition being reprinted. It really doesn't hurt to pick up like extra few copies because people always need them. So um, in terms of modern, like that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not really sure like what the, like, the next level of modern is. Like I'm not really sure like what beats Death Shadow, like what the meta would have to look like in terms of cards that get good to, to kind of make the format more diverse again. So right now I think like it's just kind of Inquisition and Nazis. Like that would be where I stand on those. Um, you know, the last time we saw a Thought Season Inquisition deck take over was Jund, and then they banned Bloodbraid Elf and Deathray Shaman. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're gonna necessarily ban out a thing out of death out of death. Shadow seems a little premature, but um, this isn't the first time we've seen those di real discard-heavy archetypes rise and start to take a bit of a stranglehold. Remember, John didn't like wipe out modern either. It was still only like a smallish percentage. It was just present enough and oppressive enough that they decided to weaken it a little bit. So I don't know. I don't think they get rid of either of those cards, but I do see them taking out like Stubborn Denial or um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else you'd get out of Death Shadow other than Death Shadow. Maybe it's Death Shadow. It seems real weird to ban Death Shadow. And of course, I don't care about modern. So next. 
Ignore the format that can possibly the second most money making format. Yeah, nope. that's Jeremy just doesn't like modern as a format, so he's not gonna talk anything about it. I, I don't like modern as a format. I don't really care about making money from it. So all right. So one. this so sorry. So this week, uh I will be making a tweet on the Cartel Aristocrats Twitter page, and you'll be able to ask your questions there, and that will be where you enter to win. Uh, store credit for next week and for what it's worth we've been getting real good at responding to questions asked on all platforms i think we answered all facebook questions with them being asked of like an hour up until yesterday so uh especially if you're on our facebook page it's real easy to just get something answered real quick instead of uh posting it somewhere else um as far as because we're all degenerates and we never leave our phones yeah yeah it's all about those notifications that dopamine to the brain or something um so feel free to ask us questions on any of our platforms and we'll respond pretty fast. Um, you guys ready to get in the pick of the week while Ed still has internet? Sure. Let All right, let's first. have Ed go first. Ah, Spit it out quick. Uh, come back to me. I literally have no idea. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I literally just flew for like 20 hours to get here. So You had I'm 20 not... hours to think of a pick. Yeah, no kidding. I slept for 18 hours, so... Still two hours. <laughs> Jim, you want to go for it? Uh, sure. My pick of the week this week is going to be Dawn Raid because it just got reprinted in Modern Masters and it's down to like $3 on TGG Player. And it's just a great Planeswalker. It's great in creature decks. We're about to get a bunch of creature decks. If there's more than one red-green deck, then there can be a lot of demand for Domri. Um, I think it's especially good in dragon decks because dragons are just really big to begin with. So uh, they are more likely to be able to fight and kill things. Um, it's a red and green way to draw cards, which doesn't exist very much. And it's a card that people are just going to forget about for a while. And it's the kind of thing that'll just creep up over time. Like, it's not going to be a player in modern, but you're pretty much easily able to just throw those in the closet for a little while and then be like, oh, look, I just found a bunch of $10 bills that I forgot about. So that's why I'm pick of the week. Uh, I'll go. I'm going to go with. Um... Door of Destinies. This is another one of those uh, bullets that you either dodge. You either this either gets reprinted in uh, this year's Commander set, or prices spike across the board. You can pick up English copies for around five dollars right now, a little bit less, uh, a few spots. And fourteen copies are obviously much more available than the original Morning Tide copies. There's also a promo foil, so there's a little bit higher supply on that. Both look pretty good right now. It looks like you can grab foils. You can grab the promo foils for like seven or eight bucks. Um, and there's, mm, <laughs> looks like 25 total of those on TCG Player. Um, and uh, foils of like the M14 copies, I'm seeing 30 at most. Um, and they're not too bad either, so. I think both are pretty good shape at this point. Probably even really the foils. God, the M14 foils are like seven bucks. Oh man, I think that's it. That might be your. That might be the play right there. Foil M14 Dora Destiny is at like seven or eight dollars. Because if it gets reprinted, the foils are safe because uh, they didn't print it in foil, and now everyone wants the, the foil copy. And if they don't reprint it, then it dodges a bullet and suddenly is an extremely relevant card to a ton of people. So this is all still like basically level zero, level one picks based on uh, based on the coming um, sets, uh, the commander set. Uh, but I think that there, there's a lot of opportunity out there on this still. Uh, I'm going to go with Virtus Gear Hulk this week. Uh, 
it is one of those cards where it doesn't really see play right now. It's kind of bottomed out on TG player. Um, it's one of those. It's it's a very very powerful effect, and it, it's it's not as secret as it is. It's kind of gone through a stage where it started up very high when Keldas first came out. It saw some amount of play. It was obviously overshadowed by things like Marvel vehicles and Marvel, and then it kind of bottomed out. And then we saw the Black Constrictor decks take over, and then briefly it, was, it hit new high, and then those like fall favors, and now it's at a low again. I think it's this is kind of the point where you want to buy in. It's similar to how Torrential Gear Hulk was at a low at one point, but we wanted it, and then Blue Decks took over, and then Torrential Gear Hulk was up, and now Torrential Gear Hulk was probably coming back down a little bit. Like it's, it's going to be, it's basically at this point where at, at five dollars, five point five to buy in, you basically can't lose. At some point, it will be good whether it takes Marvel to get banned or like Blue Mug to rotate the format. Um, there will be a point when Virtus Scare Hope will be the biggest thing that you can do at the mid-range level of like four to six mana or so, and and when it's just a bunch of mid-range mirrors, that will kind of be the time for Virtus Scare Hope to shine. You are never casting from the airport again. That is a rule we need to make. That was uh, that was brutal. I feel sorry for our listeners. I'm I sorry, mean, I, you all the time. Like, so. Me too, but for an entirely different reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, baggage state is literally like ten meters that way. So, and this was like, this is the only place I could find that was somewhat in corner. Well, yeah. well, you've been spending too much time in Japan saying ten meters that way. I mean, if the rest of the world uses uh, the metric system, shouldn't we? So, um, we don't. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that like. I always go to these cards and I'm like, they're like, I want, I want, uh, I want Elspeth Knight Aaron at whatever, or I want Elspeth Suns Champion. And then I look and I see it's like way higher than what I thought it was. And I realize I've been pricing them wrong. Shout out to $5 Heliod, even though it's like actually almost $5 now. Um, but <sighs> there's like a lot of good stuff that's been going around lately. Carpet, well, Carpet of Flowers already spiked, but I still like this card as a long term hold. Um, there's a lot more lists online that are starting to use it now with Miracles Band as people switch to like more Delver-based decks with blue or stuff like that. So I think that's one that uh, it's just like something to keep an eye on if you see it in a trade binder. Um, this does have like a high reprint risk, but I think you're going to make a little bit of money uh, holding onto it for a little while. Um, another card that I really like right now is not Soaring because that card is finally $3 again. Um, I still think Kalia in a month is going to be one of the best financial decisions you can make. There's just going to be so many of those out there. And if you snipe TCG, it's just like somewhere to, somewhere to keep an eye on or Japan, which Travis and I are both planning on doing. Um, but I think Kalia rebounds real fast. So that's just something I would keep an eye on. Um, as far as other things are concerned, uh, just to reiterate, um, Card Sphere lets you cash out at any time. So if you want to get out right after you buy in, or like if no one uses the platform anymore, you cash out, they take a fee, that's it. It's not like Puka where they don't buy your points back. So just something to keep in mind. Because the only way to cash out of Puka right now is to use a third-party thing, like buy from a, sell to a player or convert to tickets and then sell. Card Sphere is just you cash out, it's that simple. Uh, so that's one of the pros if you wind up tying up too much money in there. Um, the other thing that we're going to talk about once again is Vegas. Uh, we have more people talking to us about, uh, meeting with the cast. So 
uh, dinner plans. Like, if you still want to do that, talk to me mainly because I'm the one trying to coordinate that because we love it when you guys pay for our time because it is worth something when we're in Vegas. But if you just want to meet up with the cast and say hi, um, we are planning on doing another meetup Saturday afternoon on site, I believe. Uh, we'll all be there if you guys just want to stop by and yell about how much of an ass I am or uh, why Travis drinks shitty beer. Um, the quiet speculation guys are going to probably try to come along at some point too. Um, I did not invite them. I hope they don't listen to this cast. They were just like, hey, we heard you're doing a meetup. Uh, they're going to have a booth at GP Vegas where they're promoting their ion scanner, I believe. Um, but they also want to meet with our fans, I guess, even though we are in no way affiliated with Quiet Speculation and I'm not sponsored by them. So I'm That's... sort of confused on that angle. Um, if you want to meet up with... Like your job is this new news to the whole cast while you're telling everyone I else. just found out about it today. Uh, this is this is what's exciting about listening to like low budget productions is that there's no planning or like making sense of all of this ahead of time. So half the time you get to see people involved, learn things at the same time you do. Yeah. So uh, quiet speculation uh, wants to do a, wants to hijack our meetup, I guess. So if you guys want to talk to Chaz Volpe, who is uh, a writer, or uh, Tarkin, who's on the quiet speculation cast, um, last time we had like Chaz Andres stop by from star city games and a couple other guys. So it was a ton of fun, but if you want to talk up, if you want to meet up with the cast and say hi or pick our brains for a little bit, um, Saturday afternoon at Vegas. Um, so are there any shout outs that you guys want to give before we get out of here? Uh, I want to shout out to obliterate because it's the best card in EDH. I don't want to shout at anybody, but you don't have to buy us dinner if you come to the Saturday meetup, but you should bring like a candy bar or something, just a snack, like some sort of food based on how much time you're going to spend with us. Travis needs a Snickers because he acts like a basic bitch when he's hungry. Can we not use those expressions, please? You are a basic land bitch. That doesn't make it any better. Ed? Uh, so I posted this on Facebook a little bit earlier today. Uh, so if you guys want to check it out, read it, like it. Basically, uh, I will be donating to Doctors Without Borders in Vegas. All you have to do is find me, take a picture with me, with a little sign in front of us that says uh, "Gamers Support Doctors Without Borders." Uh, you can read the posts. I will donate one dollar to every person who takes a picture with me and then post it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just a way to give back to the community. Uh, Vegas is definitely a place to do it. Uh, more information is in the post. Please like it and share. For what it's worth, Ed just needs attention, so he's paying a dollar to get selfies with fans in Vegas. Yeah, this seems like the most effort and exposure for the least amount he could give. <laughs> it's a noble cause, don't get me wrong. I bet Ed came on as like, oh, I'm going to be a really nice guy and talk about how I'm going to donate money to a charity. I bet he did not expect to get burned by the cast for saying he was donating. <laughs> I Travis, do you want to shout out anybody? No, I already said I don't want to shout out anybody. I just want people to bring me food no matter what. Wow. Um, yeah, actually, beer. if you're, bring if you're coming beer. from outside the country, bring us something. Bring us a snack from your country. Ooh, do we have any Japanese listeners? The Kit Kats over there are awesome. I still have bags. Ah, you should I still have bags. Um, shout out to, uh, all my customers that listen to this cast for no reason. And then awkwardly talk about it in front of me while I'm trying to work on Fridays. I really appreciate that. All right. Let's, let's shout out to ending the cast so that I can cook at dinner. I got two more things. So hold uh, your horses uh, here. 
uh, shout out to Aaron Sider. Uh, he said that we should start doing cube after FNM. So I've been sleeving this cube during the cast. It's 540 powered. It's so it's I love broken stuff. Uh, nothing's fair. So it's more busted than the vintage cube. And then um, I'll be at GP Omaha this weekend uh, for trades and stuff like that for cards that uh, were like out of at the shop. So if you want to say hi, that would be great. Just don't murder me in the parking lot. Um, that's like the number one rule. Uh, so if you're going to GP Omaha, which there's only like 350 people signed up, say hi, because the vendors are going to be shooting themselves for booking Omaha. Uh, it's going to be like one of the smallest GPs of all time, I would guess, um, for this year. So yeah, I'll be at Omaha this weekend. You can follow me at Zemet Sells Magic or find me in Missouri at Valhalla's Gate or in St. Louis, in Chesterfield, or pretty much anywhere and uh ed where can we find you now that you're back in the states from vacation ed's internet just died because you talked about shit too much <laughs> so we're literally you, literally just died just ran out where can we find you ed where can you find me you can find me at click <laughs> jim uh you can find me on modern nexus every week you can find me on gathering magic every other week you can find me on this cast every monday wondering why i decided to do this again and you can find me on twitter at phrost underscore and i am travis allen i am on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n i write every monday at mtg price i do the mtg fast finance podcast available uh usually on thursdays uh and if you and below like- cartel and listens get rex son <laughs> and if you like playing magic check out scry.land find magic in your area and ed where can people find you now that you're on your iphone uh, yeah, I'm on my iPhone now. Um, I'm on United. Twitter, They're beating Edwin, me. Yeah. Twitter, Edwin13. Um, Kerwin Swordfire. I will be in Madison, Wisconsin at Pokemon Regionals this weekend. Week off after that, and then I will always be in Vegas for all days. Uh, after that, we'll be Australia. Straight from Vegas. Thanks for listening to Cart. Okay. Uh, I don't know what Ed's doing. Thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 56. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and Cool Stuff, Inc. Once again, remember to hit us up on our social media to win a $25 gift card for next week's drawing. Uh, Jim, did you say where that was going to be? Once again, to reiterate that. Yes, it'll be on Twitter, and you will know, because it'll be the retweet of the Gathering Magic post for this. Yep, so it'll be at cartel underscore finance. We'd like to thank you guys for listening, and as always, we'll see you next week.